0: This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Aloha, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Dreamland. I am your host, Jeremy Vaney, in for Whitley Strieber once again. So it must be the last Friday of the month. Um, I have a guest who I am super excited for. Her name is Pam. She's going by Pam Dillon. And um, I'm excited because... I love talking to experiencers about their experiences, especially ones whom I already trust, (laughs) and I already trust Pam Pam is uh, intelligent on the level and well thought out about her experiences, so uh, this is going to be great. It's kind of a throwback to the show I did for Whitley called The Experience, where I mostly talk to experiencers, Um, and I have a feeling this is going to go in directions you're probably not used to. Just just a feeling, I don't know, but here we go. Uh, Pam, welcome to the show, and thank you for doing this.
1: Oh, thank you. It's great to meet you.
0: Yeah, it's great to meet you, too. I, I, we sort of know each other from social media, but uh, we've, we've never actually met. And um, just so people know, her she wants to remain anonymous, so her camera isn't on. So you get to, this is what you get. <laughs> you get to look at this. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, um, so but so Pam, it means a lot to me that you would do this because I know you don't really talk about this stuff publicly, and uh, there's probably a reason for that. Yeah. And maybe maybe we'll get into that. But let's let's start with first things first. What is first? Are you a lifelong experiencer, and if so, what's the first memory that you have?
1: Oh yeah, um, a lot of it, okay, I guess the first one would be just as a little kid having these like tall white figures come to the side of my bed and they'd just be standing there around my bed. Um, I didn't appreciate that. Uh, that was scary. <laughs> um, but The first really weird thing happened, I think I was 16. And if there's stuff that happened before that, I don't remember it. I've never done hypnosis. I think it's not reliable and I think it's kind of creepy. So um, I was 16. It was like 1968. And there was kind of a UFO flap that year where I lived. And my mother and brother and a neighbor lady and I were sitting on the front porch, looking towards the airport. And there were all these odd lights. And so all of a sudden my mother jumps up, the neighbor lady jumps up and she goes, let's go. and this isn't how my mother acts at all. So my brother and I run after her, we get in the backseat of the car, they speed off towards the um, uh, airport and it only takes maybe five minutes by car to get to the airport from where I grew up. So, you know, we, find, we come up to this fence at the end of a runway And stop and my mother says "Um, oh it's just some lights so we go back home well this is like that missing time thing we should have been gone 10 minutes 15 at the most we've been gone three hours when we got home and uh, so that night, I just went to sleep. The next day, I started, and I know this is gonna sound crazy, but I started remembering, but I can't be remembering it because it's crazy. Watching my brother, like float up through the air into your standard saucer-shaped craft, you know? and then me after him. And for the next several weeks, it seemed like I kept seeing out of the corner of my vision, I'd see like one of those craft behind a cloud or something, but nobody else would see it. So I'm like, what is this? You know, I just checked it up to like some weird dreams, but stuff really got weird like kind of in the middle of my life i was in my mid-30s and uh i had about a week where just it was just hitting the fan right <laughs> like, just weird stuff i'd get these phone calls that were just static sort of like that John keel how he used to talk about getting phone calls that were weird and everything I um My kids started to complain about little people looking in their windows and The windows in the house where I lived with my kids at the time They're like a good five feet off the ground. So no little people would be looking in their windows and uh at some point I wrote a letter about some of this stuff and I sent it to um, this infamous ufologist guy that that was writing books about it at the time.
0: Are we not allowed to say his name or her? Can I? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: It was, um, now I panicked when you said are you allowed to say <laughs> his name? I was, this is was the artist guy with the, the abstract artist who's Leslie King's friend, you know. right? But Hopkins. Hopkins, yeah. And he called me and uh, he said, well, I'd be interested in hypnotizing you. And I said, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, he goes, well, I'm going to send you some a form to sign. What he sent me was five pages of detailed questions that basically told you what he wants to hear from you when you're hypnotized. Five-page document of question after question. So I wrote him back and I said, I think this is maybe a bad method, you know. And and then I was like, whoa, (laughs) how stupid. Wrong answer. (laughs) Of course, it's bad methodology. So it didn't get better after that. I started having nightmares about these
0: things. Well, with, you know, can I, can I stop you there for one second? Yeah, yeah. Ladies and germs, we will be back after these brief messages. As promised, look, we came back. Let me stop you there for one second. So when when you wrote to Bud Hopkins, and you, I mean, it's amazing that you knew then that that was bad methodology because so many people would read that questionnaire or whatever it is and and not have a second thought about it. Um, How is it that you knew that? Is that by way of, you don't have to give away what your profession is or was, but is is it by way of profession or did you just, was it so obvious? Well,
1: I had a psychology degree. So I had some sense of how you can lead a person into thinking certain things. But I also... Had just been through this, uh, trying to get my marriage annulled with the Catholic Church, and there's a long ten-page questionnaire for them. So I was like, "What is this?" You know, like I just did this annulment thing, and now he's got this big long questionnaire. And and the more I thought about it, the more I just thought there's something kind of creepy about this. I mean the focus on reproduction the you know sitting on the edge of the bed and the looking for marks kind, kind of reminded me of the witchcraft trials where you know they yeah. send a witch finder in and if you had certain marks or if you answered this or that question a certain way so i didn't like the whole feeling of it i didn't like it can i ask
0: you just, uh, and then we'll get back to your experiences, but so I, I don't know, I don't remember how it was on Bud Hopkins' website, but on David Jacobs' website, there's, there was a section dedicated, maybe there still is, I don't know, but I, I heard he took it down, the, the website, I don't know, but um, that was basically saying that he, and I think Bud, but definitely he, uh, do presentations for um, psychologists, No, You know, they try to present themselves at a scholarly level and that they do this. Does that click with you? Like, it sounds like if your background is in psychology and you read this thing and you go, oh, this ain't right. It sounds to me like something every psychologist would do. Does that make sense to you that they would be giving presentations to any sort of psychological community with any accredited background?
1: Well, it makes sense that they could because at the time, David Jacobs had just written a book and published it at, I think he was at Indiana University. And um, so he would have been able to he was at Temple. go anywhere and speak and present himself as a scholar. Um, but he was he was starting to cross over into that weird territory, you know, where it's like a lot. More personal. I mean, so would they not? Um, so,
0: well, first of all, he was a professor um, at Temple University. Just to be clear, but uh, would he? Oh,
1: okay. Sorry, I got it wrong. It's okay. So, would,
0: would he? Uh, yeah. In other words, like, so the psychological community would it be that that, for instance, a school, another school, would maybe invite someone like him in simply because he's a professor without actually checking out his methodology? Just to hear what he has to say—is that what it is? Because I would assume that anyone who actually looked at the that type of questionnaire or knew that they were doing hypnosis, for instance, knowing what how bad hypnosis is for memory retrieval, wouldn't give these guys the time of day. Is it simply that you can get in on your scholarship and your you know your background first, yes. and then they maybe look at you? Oh, okay. <laughs> That clears up a yes, lot for me. Yes, that's it. Much, yeah. <laughs> Dreamlanders, will be back after this, as promised. Look, we came back. Okay, so now, now we're you're in uh, midlife, and the fit is hitting the shan, as the kids right, do right. say. But, uh, and and you're having experiences, but you're also you're saying you were having dreams.
1: Yeah, really vivid. Okay, and the dreams. Um, and one of um I was in this craft but all you could see was the middle of it and there was a chair and my brother was sitting on it facing away from me uh, and he was about eight in the, in the dream and I instinctively reached out to touch his shoulder to let him know I was there and as I did that the voice said don't touch him And the minute I touched him, it was this uh, alien face right up in front of me, like maybe three inches away with the eyes only. It wasn't smooth like the cover of Whitley Stryver's book. The skin was more like wrinkled or a lot of deep grooves. And um, it seemed, this is going to sound crazy, but I had this sense of terror that's always off the chart with these things, like worse than any other terror you could feel. But under that, it looked like it was smiling at me, but it, not from its mouth, just its whole demeanor. And so that morning, I was just kind of laying in bed, not wanting to get up, and I hear this pat, 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 And this is like in my actual life not my dream and i see these three little robed figures they all have hoods and uh the one in front has sort of this pointy stick with a light on the end of it and they're just walking up to me in a row and um i was so scared i was just paralyzed and i said Don't touch me with that. Don't touch it to me. Don't." So, of course, it touches me on the forehead with a stick, and then, suddenly, I'm dreaming again, and I'm running down this brick alleyway right next to the public library downtown. So, I'm running, I can feel myself running, and there's a bum that runs right into me, a kind of a street person. And, and I can smell him and see the sweat on him. And he says to me, I'm worried about you. I've really been worried about you. And then I wake up and everything's just normal. So that this is the creepy part, this next part, So that day I had plans to actually go to the library. I had some stuff I wanted to check out. I went and I got it. I was up at the checkout desk and I feel this tap on my shoulder uh, and I turn around and it's the same bum from my dream, the same guy, the same smell, everything. He goes, I was really worried about you last night. Are you all right? Well, I just ran right out of there to my car and went home. and uh, So that was pretty weird. I saw that guy again a couple years later. I was working as a route service person and I was having lunch in the mall and I'm just sitting there eating my sandwich, looking at a magazine or something. And I feel somebody by me and I look up and it's this guy, he goes, Oh, you're looking a lot better now. I think you're doing better. So he, so he turns around and leaves. I ran after him. There's nobody out there. So I'm like, great, I'm hallucinating, you know. But um, all that.
0: Did you ask anyone? Hey, did you see that guy? I
1: did. They just looked at me. So I don't think they saw him. So he just stared at me like, what? You know, because they see me running to the door. Well, at the 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 point of that week that was the most dramatic for me was, you know, things kept getting crazier and crazier. I kept getting more and more scared. I thought I was losing my mind. I was so sure. I was having a psychotic episode that I got my abnormal psych textbook and tried to look up what might possibly be wrong with me, but that wasn't really helpful. And um, just as it got really bad, it was like, it was like something just opened up and there was this big whoosh of air up my back. Into this brilliant white light. And it's just, just like the whole near death experience light, you know, all knowing. When was this? Huh? When was this? I was about 35, 36 years old. And it was at I mean,
0: the end of the mean, Is this, a, that- different hmm? this is a different experience?
1: It was at the end of the Is this a different experience? Or is this? This is a different experience was at the end of that weird week, when I was the most frightened that I was really losing my mind, whoosh, out of my body, into the light, all loving, all knowing, um, eternal. You could see that time was in some sense not real, just it's a constraint, you know, it's something that makes people, give structure to consciousness, I guess. Anyway, and then when I came back from that light, I felt fine. Didn't feel like there was anything wrong with me. Felt good. I wasn't scared. I didn't have any more aliens dropping in on me. But pretty much everything else in my life just fell apart just fell apart. And I've often thought that without that experience, I might not have gotten through all that other stuff, you know, all the loss and the pain afterwards. But I also think that there's something to these, um, these experiences that people call aliens, it has more to do with trying to break your sense of what's normal, trying to insert itself and say, hey, what you think is happening isn't what's happening, you know, kind of wake up. I really enjoyed your last show because you talked about that a lot.
0: Oh, thanks. This is it. Last break, I promise. But, you know, you can solve your own pain here by just uh, subscribing to unknowncountry.com and getting the whole thing for free. Um, God, there's so much we can talk about here. I don't even know what direction to go in. Um, maybe I'll just start here. So, yeah, it's hard to see because of the terror uh, that this could just be about breaking you down in some way, but I was even thinking about, it's just weird to have these experiences. And for me, they're not, my experiences are, you know, from what I remember of them is, is brief, right? But I can keep mining them years later for different ways to look at it until I get it right, you know? yeah. And one of the things that I didn't even come up with until just today, as I was thinking about how I want to approach this stuff next is um I had an experience that I wrote about in my first book uh that was kind of like what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's a dream, a dream but, but not a dream. <laughs> oh, thanks. It's a dream, but not a dream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point I say, I can't remember what it is, but you know, um, something about when do they come for me or whatever. And the answer was, if you want to figure out when they come for you, you've got to figure out when they come for your sister. And then years later, uh, I had an experience of, um, of, uh, I might've, well, I don't think I talked about it in this show, but maybe the experience of a dream. That's not a dream. Again, another dream. That's not a dream experience. Um, where three, uh, I guess they were sea lion pups came up out of a pool, and you know, one of the one closest to me stared at me and it thrust me into this vision of seeing my sister again as a little kid. She's three years older than me, so I would have been, I don't know, one, not born, something, but she was a little, little kid, uh, four years old, five years old, maybe. It'd be taken by the hand by some guy, like a military guy, and my feeling as just watching this is that she's looking back at me and she looks confused and I'm like, so sad. I feel like there's something I can do and I'm not doing it. And none of that makes sense. Right. Except that it evokes a feeling right. of, of all of that guilt and loss and sadness and uh, all of that. And then cut back to the seal pup who says, uh, essentially tells me you still have attachment. You're not ready. And then they go back into the water and I pop up out of bed. And I look at these things that are, you know, first of all, masquerading as dreams. Yeah. And I feel like I've, I've done it enough in my life to sort of demonstrate that I know the difference between reality, a, a personal dream, a transpersonal right. dream, and a communication, you know, <laughs> and visionary stuff and all that. So, but here's the thing. The idea of, well, and also uh, back in high school when I had an experience of not being able to move yeah. and thinking they're here for your sister. So there are these three things, at least, that are about, like, they're here for your sister, figure it out with your sister. But the last one is about you're attached to your sister. And all of this terror may be about that. And I know that that's something people don't want to think about because I've brought this up and people say, no. That's horrible. Like, of course we want to have that sort of attachment to family and love and all that. But if there is anything that this is about to me, it is about the dissolution of self. Yeah. And so maybe this terror is more ab- about that. Not about trying to terrorize you with boogada boogada boogada, right. but showing you your level of attachment. Because you can't be terrorized. You can't be sad. You know, all of that, if you are a light unto yourself, if you are right. whole. So it's really at least showing you what you're not, which is ready for equality <laughs> <laughs> with self actualized beings, right? I don't know. That, those. Does that make sense? Yes. That re-
1: and re- there's some interesting parallels between your experiences and mine. You know the attachment, the sister attachment thing. My brother, and the um, dream, not dream. The whole idea of a dream that's not a dream and that bleeds over into reality. And I've asked a lot of people. You know what? What was that all about? Like I, one thing I did was right away. I went back to college to try and get this master's degree where you can tailor it to whatever you want. So I thought, well, that's perfect. I'll figure out what happened and I'll get the answers and everybody will feel a lot better, you know. Um, but so I saw that universities weren't really what I thought they were at all, that it was it was not gonna give me all the answers. It was, it was pretty painful experience, actually. Um, hmm. But I just felt like, well, I have to do something with this, you know? People have to know about this. And, um, and then I could see that the people there, I did get the degree and I, I graduated with honors, but I was like, who cares? Who cares? Nobody still knows what I was talking about. And the very fact that I was talking about it, you could see that some of my advisors were, like, terrified of that. Like, why are you? My, My main advisor even said, you can't talk about this stuff if you want to succeed in academics. And I was like, but I don't want to succeed in academics. I want to understand what happened. So.
0: Hmm. Well, there's something. (laughs) (laughs) You can have this or you can have that. You know? (laughs) You can be taken seriously or... (laughs) The other option. You can be fulfilled. (laughs) Um, I just want to ask you about, like your experiences in general, um, the whatever was happening at the time. So for instance, something you're like, oh, go away. And then it touches you on the forehead with a wand. Um, I know that the, the temptation for people is to go to a hypnotist and get that missing time right. filled in. But maybe the missing time is part of the point. And if it's not, then you know maybe we just be satisfied with what we've got because hypnosis ain't the answer. But if you just look at what you've got, does it make sense to you? So, in other words, I trust that you're telling me the truth. I don't trust that your experiences are telling you the truth. No, yeah. Not because of any yeah. evil, deceptive, whatever, but because they literally don't make sense, which, again, to me is the point. It is the is point. The, point. The, the, the fact that we make sense of the world and we're screwed up, something is telling us that. to right. me, <laughs> There's a level here of, of not making sense, of not logic, not proof, right. not you know, right. all of this. So what do you... Okay, so you're saying right. So I guess you agree with that. At what point did you sort of come to something like that? Because the obvious thing to go with is like whatever's happening to you is what's happening to you. Well, what was the turning
1: point? It took a while. I mean, I think I think I really needed to let go of thinking that knowledge, learning according to Western ideas of learning, that wasn't going to explain anything to me. And I, I had to really give up on that. And so that was one of the things I lost, like that idea that I can use my brain to just figure things out and then everything will be better. You no, know, it doesn't work that way. And, uh, and I really, I, I spent a lot of years just doing a lot of healing, you know, like I lost my original family my husband dumped me after going through all that stuff to get the annulment, which he wanted, as soon as it was granted and it took a whole year, he he ran off with a Baptist <laughs> which is kind of I find that darkly funny, but anyway. So just <laughs> it was just like that, one thing after another. No, you can't have that, can't have that, you're not getting this. And at some point, I had to think, okay, something is going on here, and it wants me to see what's really here. You know, that's hard. I tried a lot of things. I tried learning to meditate. Um, I had a guy from a Tibetan center in Chicago come teach me that. And after I'd been doing it a couple times, I was sitting on the floor and this mouse came up right in front of me and sat on its hind legs, facing me like in a meditation pose. <laughs> like, Aren't you hilarious? Look at you big spiritual thing, you, you're an idiot. <laughs> so, like, I don't know, maybe this doesn't seem funny to you, but to me it did. I just, yeah.
0: did, any, did anyone see that one? <laughs> did anyone see the meditating no, mouse? No,
1: no, it was only me. So,
0: no, the thing that I find funny about it is again, that's something that we have in common is a, a weird mouse thing. Uh, do you know my weird mouse story? No, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll just tell it really quickly. Uh, it became a fan favorite when I used to do Peritopia, people <laughs> called it Neck Mouse and you know, did all kinds of book covers, fake book covers and stuff, um, which is great. But, uh, I mean, essentially, I'll try to distill it. I saw an actual mouse in my apartment when I was living in New York that was just, like, walking across, duty, do doo and I couldn't find it. Like, it was killing me that, that like, I went to find it and trap it and all, and I couldn't, it was gone. Where, But, I mean, it was yeah. a real mouse. There's no question. The thing is, it, like, meandered into the room, stumbled along, and then meandered out. And then walked along, and then I went to look for it. And I was like, oh, you bold little creature. But I was so obsessed with it that I couldn't stop thinking about it all day. Obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. And then that night, I had a dream, for some reason, about, like, cockroaches or something in a jar. Which was so gross and weird that it became lucid. And the second that became lucid, uh, I felt a mouse, as I'm lying in bed, I felt it like come out of oh. my neck and uh scamper across my head and jump in the air. And it, it was like really quick and it was startling. And I opened my eyes to see this mouse flying in the air and just dissolve oh my just my gosh. Of before my eyes.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: So there's one for like, you know, is that a tulpa? Like what is that? You obsess over something, obsess over something, and then you pull it out of the ether, you know. Uh so you know that that's interesting.
1: <laughs> that's really great. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean over time. But do you,
0: so do you find that? Do you have a well? Wait a sec. Do you have like an an obsessive mind like that? Like when you started meditating and all of that, are you able to like supernaturally compared to other people, sort of focus down into one thing, like? Would we be doing the same thing? Like, If you see a mouse come into the room and like sit cross-legged, um, are you sort of pulling something into the room? I, I guess it would be like a hallucination, but it's more controlled than that. It, do you think something like that's going on?
1: Yeah, it's. I think it's almost more like mirroring, you know? Um, the best moments I have is when my brain just kind of turns off. And it's often when I'm outdoors, and um, I think that's what 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 people need maybe to stop thinking about everything, you know, because the thinking always mm-hmm. seems to go wrong. What what I started to do over time is I just gave up on finding the answers, and just started attending more to this uh, to internal cues. So I have a sense of like space inside of me that started after that bright light experience. And it's surprising, but you know, a lot of stuff will come from that, from just listening or being open to that, or letting it come in. Um, I know I, I was in a group once where some, this guy was doing this reenactment of some personal problem he was having and he was really stuck. And so I was, me and another person were supposed to go up and put one hand on his shoulder and then, uh, See how he felt after that. And the minute I put my hand on his shoulder, I got that blank space and zipped all this, like, energy, I I could feel it go right through my arm into him. And he, he, to this day, he says that changed his life. You know, I did not tell him that happened. I I didn't want to sound like some kind of asshole, you know, like, oh, I can heal with my hands. No, I can't. But that really did happen. It (laughs) It was a real thing. And amazing things like that do happen if I pay attention to that space, you know. Do you have anything like that?
0: Well, as far as being able to heal? Yeah. Uh yeah. I don't like it. I mean, I guess I'm going to be writing about it soon, so maybe I can talk about it. I just don't like talking about it too much. Uh but yeah, I mean through the kundalini awakening. Got to hate these words, but it's what we got. <laughs> uh yes. So it's not as though I'm healing. Like I literally shut up for a second. This impersonal energy takes over and um, has some success in healing people and animals. That's great. For sure.
1: Yeah. I yeah. I um I think I think it's a, a real thing and that being quiet and learning to attend to and I'm not thinking of meaning attend to what we're thinking or feeling or anything. It's it's deeper than that. It's like this deep quiet void I guess and um and stuff comes out of there and it's a good feeling because the more comes things come through me not because of me because myself I'm as neurotic as I ever was you know I can be very irritating I get wound up and spin and everything but um but I do have that now. And I think the more I let go of external things and explanations, the more that got stronger. Hmm. Does that make sense? When, let's talk.
0: Yeah, for sure. I want to talk to you about the light experience. Okay. Um, so, would you say, what would you say that was in the mechanical sense? An out of body experience?
1: I or thought.
0: Was it in your body?
1: Yeah, I thought it was like out of body or near death. The closest I could find at first was that near death type of experience. But of course, I wasn't near death. Um, but there are some the interesting wrinkles there. Um, for example, those experiences are only called near death experiences because they were popularized in the 20th century by heart surgeons, people who had had heart attacks and such. But um, the Institute of Near-Death Studies, the lady that used to get all the letters and categorize them and everything, said about 65% of the experiences they get are from people who are never near death. So it's a misnomer, you know. And then after I got out of school, I found this guy, um, Gopi Krishna. Have you heard of him? He's just an ordinary guy, and he had this kundalini awakening. And um, a lot of what he had to say sounded very much like that bright light experience. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's like I didn't just... You know i had that experience and then suddenly i knew all the secrets of the universe and i can heal people and you know i can go on tour and everything it's not, it's not like that i mean <laughs> he he said he, he went through Wait, years what? of healing you know after that he, he was very sick and i had the same experience i i, I went through years of just trying to glue myself back together in some way. It's hard.
0: Did you did you say what was happening at the moment that that happened? Like what you were doing? Did I miss that?
1: I was not. I was just sitting in an, in my room on the bed, and nobody else was there. And as soon as I went whoosh up into that light. I was in the light. I was not aware of my body or my surroundings or any of that. And it wasn't timeless, like it could have been two seconds, it could have been two hours. Time did not exist.
0: And uh and did you do you feel as though you you know, people talk about getting downloads or, you know, some some form of, like, gaining knowledge about life, the universe, and everything. And then you ask them, okay, so what is it? And they go, I don't know. Is it that kind of experience?
1: Yeah, sort of. And here's the thing. One thing I noticed about Gopi Krishna is he always thought that, you know, this was going to be the answer to world peace and anything we need to know. It's all up in there. But nobody ever brings it back. So I don't think, I don't think that's what it's for, you know? Um, Because, like I said earlier, I think our addiction to knowing and understanding every last little thing is part of the problem. And maybe other things are more important. (laughs)
0: Well, and this is what makes it so hard to talk about, because we do live in a society uh, that does just that. We want to answer questions. We don't want mysteries. Mysteries are to be answered. And when you have something that is like, no, this is actually, this involves a state of being, not a state of doing. And so that seeker and that person must be tucked away. <laughs> uh it's hard to hear. Yes. Nobody wants to hear you want to say, like, how do I do that? How do I solve that mystery of like how does one become that? And you know right. I don't know I don't know what the answer is, except to just keep explaining it over and over and, and then hope that one or two people have a Eureka moment with it or something. I don't know. But I, I feel like um you know, if this is the big thing to, to get over, like in other words, if Gopi Krishna is thinking, like, "Oh, we can go to this place and bring back," you can't bring back, like you're like you're saying. No. You can be that. Maybe that's a stage of consciousness that we can live as, instead of visiting and bringing back. And maybe that's the message here. And if we don't, then well, we see what the repercussions of not are, right? <laughs> of just right. saying all of this screw up that we are is human nature, and that's it. Uh, but if that's not true, what con, you know, quote unquote contact or, you know, any of these sort of alienish terms that we like to use, um, what could be fruitful to a being that knows this about us and we don't, um, until we figure it out? And they can't tell us because literally telling us, obviously, as I'm literally saying it, doesn't wake doesn't you up. Doesn't work, yeah. So, yeah, so there's got to be all this sort of subterfuge. Kind of stuff going on. Um, yeah. And it's going to rub up against who and what we think we are by just by definition of everything we've talked about. So that to me is where we are. And yet here we are still in UFO world talking about disclosure, talking about aliens, talking about, you know, tic tac UFOs and all that fun stuff. And like at what point do you think that there is going to be a point where people will see? you know, en masse, that that isn't correct. I mean, John Keel was a long time ago. Jacques Vallée touched on it. George Hansen. In different ways. They all have different theories. Right, well. right. But at least they're not alien. And at least they're closer to us. Uh, do you think we ever get... But that never takes hold in the mainstream. Do you think it ever does? Or do you think no, this is just no. the way it's going to be? I,
1: I, think, I think a lot of this stuff has to fall apart first which I'm not happy about. Who wants to live through a bunch of things falling apart? But even personally, for me, that was the process, right? I get to this point in my life where I think, oh, I'm doing everything right, you know? This is what I am. And something else comes in there and kicks my feet out from under me because, no, that's not right. And so I think... I think it's in terms of society. I think it's. I don't think that's going to happen easily.
0: Free Dreamlanders, that is it. Please do consider signing up to listen to the rest of this interview and thousands of hours of content at unknowncountry.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And Whitley will be back next week. Do you? Do you think it will? I think that. Um, America and probably the UK, at least, I don't know about other countries, but we have definitely got a superpower and especially America has a superpower, which is denial. (laughs) We could live in denial forever. So no, I, I don't think, I don't think it happens. And that's why I think this isn't a social program, even though there is a societal aspect to it. There are mass sightings, there is all of that to keep it alive in the culture. But at the end of the day, it is an individual experience, you know? And right, right. The big sort of campfire story isn't the point. The point is, you know, how, I want to say what you do with it, how you connect with it, but really, I, at this point in my life, I think it's even less about that and more like, after a lifetime of this, taking a step back and going, okay, um, what's wrong with the picture? Right? Is it, <laughs> Is it me and how I approach this? Like, it, should I stop approaching it because it's always going to be pointless? It's always going to be a reflection back, a mirror. Right. Because I often thought that, like, like, what if we stopped defining it? How would the phenomenon react? How would the intelligence react if we not ignored it because we're debunkers or skeptics or we're just ignorant and stupid and don't care or whatever it is you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like ignored it with the intelligence of just saying I'm done I'm done, I understand that this is real and I don't know what that means so I'm done putting an answer on it does the relationship change? That's kind of where
1: I am now I've been there for quite a while and I accept that people aren't going to understand it if I talk about it and I accept that my big grand attempt to explain it in academia was a failure and that all these other things are no, no, no. But um, I just wanted to tell you before I forget that your first book, it just gave me so much hope. I i forget how I ever found even found your book, but I was thinking, well, I've just failed with all this. I've I haven't been able to do anything with it. Now everybody thinks I'm weird and I am, and that's fine. I'm just gonna, you know, go about my life. And, and and you know, so much of what you said was familiar to me and on the same page. And I thought, well, see, this is happening to other people who think more deeply about it than, oh, the reptilians are coming for me, you know? Oops. It really, really gave me some
0: hope. Oh, so well, thank
1: you. Good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you, because I don't, uh, I don't get too much positive feedback, so it's good to hear. Um, which I don't think is indicative of anything except that people with th- positive feedback generally stay quiet, and people who
1: well, and I think um, people get scared. <laughs> people who are this Homer Simpson stuff. are the loud ones. Yeah, <laughs> this is scary yeah. stuff. and so you're pretty frank it about it. It is scary it. stuff.
0: Yeah and people are not but i think it's important that that people in ufology like you're talking about who have sort of pat answers realize that they're scared too. Yeah. That they're not open-minded the way they think they are. Maybe they were at one point, but it was just open-minded enough to to grab onto a theory that you can go, "aha, this is what it is," yeah. and then spend your life defending that because all ultimately i think all of this is fear of annihilation, you know. Yeah. And um, anyone who thinks that that's not true didn't live through the same COVID I did because (laughs) the majority of people had a moment of being able to be silent with themselves and they couldn't stand it. Right. They went crazy. You know, they hated it. So that's, that's like just being told to stay indoors from a virus for a few weeks. Imagine if aliens landed. (laughs) Imagine if, (laughs) You know, the interdimensional portal opens and the thing that you've fantasized about actually steps through. And it doesn't quite go the way you expect. <laughs> I
1: suspect they're... I mean, I don't think they're aliens. There's no reason to think that. And, um... Jack Valley, he used to say that he thought they'd been around here for thousands of years. I think that's probably true. I think they've probably been around since there were people. Um... The fairy folk... I I have no virus ancestry. And interestingly, they come from the land of the dead. Uh, Tirnanog mm. means the land of the dead. And uh, a lot of those stories are almost identical to the UFO stories. So I think it's been around for a long time.
0: Well, I mean... You know, as you're talking about your light experience and, and experiencing time and timelessness, uh if it is of timelessness, I mean, death is of timelessness, right? Like, yeah. what to a timeless being or what to a non-dual being does time look like? Does the universe, does the physical look like? Is it just a living painting? You know, and so we, we look at it, part of the painting, we go, that's the past and this other part's the future. And they go... Uh no, this is just the painting and we can look at we can put our gaze at any part of this and yeah. to you it'll feel like we've been in Egypt, we've been here, we're in your life now and it's all the same to us. You oh know, yeah, sort of,
1: that's true. That's the
0: way I tend to see it. Yeah,
1: that's
0: a good point. And also the idea like just on a practical level, um the idea that there are aliens here uh, but they've been with us forever, then how alien are they? Like, even if they were from another planet, I mean, you know, if you're born in one country, but you're a descendant from another country, you're still considered to be from the country you're born in, right? Right. So, you know, if they've been here forever, they're probably from Earth at this point, or surrounding area, you know? Yeah. I I mean, I don't believe that, but I'm just saying, you know, like, in the... uh, I, I just think... None of our theories make sense in and of themselves. It's time to like Man, that's think the about point. It. To, like, yeah. To, like, <laughs> <figure them again. laughs> yeah. But that doesn't sell. Cuz again, like part of the problem too is the consumer culture. Like it's easy to like formulate an ancient aliens or the reptilians from wherever and come up with a backstory of that and then sell it and sit on a stage and, you know, in your suit and tie and pretend that that makes you serious. And people will buy that. Uh, before they'll ever listen to this conversation. (laughs) I know. So, I don't know. Again, it's like the odds are stacked (laughs) against uh, any sort of glimmer of truth coming out in any big social... I hope that
1: changes because... Yeah. I hope it changes because you're good at this and you're doing good work and hopefully, you know, you'll get some people... I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no group um, you can well, go I, to, right? The 12-step alien.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you could, but I don't recommend no. it. <laughs> but I, I just think even all of what, what we're talking about in terms of like that is, it's, again, we want to ask about the, the other before we deal with ourselves. Right. And what I'm talking about are various types of people, Right. And so why aren't we seeing ourselves as we actually are and seeing like how we're reacting to even the notion of mystery with a capital. Yeah. Like our reaction to it is to build a story and believe that story, defend that story, move to the next story as it suits us, and then have amnesia immediately about the fact that we believed something else a second ago. Yeah. We cared so much about it the way we did a second ago. And we keep doing that. And we're seeing it now. For instance, like, you know, when I was growing up, uh, it was aliens. And then it sort of became, move the goalpost. Well, it's interdimensional. And now, because AI is so dominant in the news, I'm seeing more and more news articles about how aliens, scientists say aliens must be AI, uh, you know, when they come here. So it's like we have this weird thing where our notion of what this is It just happens to keep pace in an obvious way with like where our thinking is in terms of how we project the future to be, but we refuse to actually acknowledge that that's going on. Instead, we'll believe the AI thing or whatever it is. We'll believe that whatever we have now and can picture now is the thing in the future. That's the way the future is going to go. And it's like, how do we not take a step back ever and, and go, wait, why are we doing this? Like, we are doing this. Why are we doing this? It's still a mystery. It's still unknowable.
1: (laughs) Nobody, nobody, I know. I know. (laughs) I just, I can't worry about everybody else. I mean, I'm worried about everybody else, but. I'll
0: I'll, I'll worry about them. You you just sit tight. (laughs) I I, I got the worrying (laughs) coverage.
1: I just know that. If I ask a probing question or something on this topic, I'm usually going to get kicked out of a room or somebody's going to get mad at me. Or, and I, that tells me a lot. It tells me this is important. Like this is something worth attending to. And yet, as you say, instead of attending to it, paying attention, let's make up a story that explains it so we feel better right away.
0: No. Unfortunate. It's the easiest thing to do, I guess. Um, Have you personally, like not online, but just in in person met other experiencers?
1: Not really. No.
0: Hmm. So you've been alone with this your whole life.
1: Yeah. I mean, I tried joining some groups online. But I just had terrible experiences there. I mean, people, would, people wanted to interpret what happened to me and explain it to me. I'm like, no, 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 I didn't come here for that. And people often got angry with me. I don't find myself very threatening, but for some reason, when I open my mouth, I am. And so in these groups, there's always something you're not supposed to say. And that's always the first thing I want to talk about, you know. I'm good at zeroing right in on that and saying, why can't we talk about this here, you know.
0: So. Well, do you find also that people, um, maybe even just online, uh, because you're using the same words and because you very loosely have the same interest in quotes, um, that they don't necessarily even hear what you're saying. It's like they hear the buzzwords and then they fill in the blanks. Yeah. Do you get that?
1: I th- I think it's just really hard yeah. to listen and to hear people, other people.
0: Hmm. Well, <laughs> good luck with aliens, folks.
1: <laughs> I do. I I know we're probably know. gonna have to wrap this up, but I want to tell you an animal story since you had your mouse story. Oh, please do. Yeah. Um,
0: well, I did look at the clock, and we've got plenty of time. So
1: okay. Feel free. Well, we live in an area where there are coyotes. There didn't used to be, but there are now, and I can hear them at night. And when I walk my dog, I see their scat everywhere. There good at just making sure it's right out there so I could say we're here so you know deal with it and um but I've never seen one and my husband's seen half a dozen of them in fact the other night one came up our driveway late at night and was just sniffing the back of our car so he tells me this and I was so mad I'm like Why can't I see a coyote? You're seeing all these coyotes. I never see one. So the next day I go out with my dog Marco. I get deep into this grassland part of where we go walking. And no kidding, a coyote walks out onto the path, stops, looks at me for a good long minute. I'm like, hi. (laughs) and walks away, you know, like, and that also happened to me with a fox. We were uh, we were looking at, he used to do genealogy, so we were looking for gravestones of his ancestors. And I said, "Gee, I wish I could see a fox, you know, they're really hard to see in this country. And a fox walks out onto the edge of the road along the cemetery and just watches us. And he saw it too. So it wasn't like a hallucinatory fox, it just, so it's weird, you know, it's like there's part of the world that is very connect, we're connected to more than we think. And, you know, it'll talk back to you sometimes. That's my opinion, without being too woo
0: woo yeah, about it. for sure. It. I don't think it's woo woo at all. I think, um, I mean, you know, this is the nature of coming from heart or being interconnecting with all nature. You know, <laughs> like like the problem with Western Westernized mind is that we've divorced ourselves. We've put the brain in charge, and that ain't working because, like, just health healthy beings. Are you know, heart yeah. in charge, not brain in yeah. charge, or however you want to frame that. We are nature. Yeah. We're part I, of nature. Yeah. We're nature, exactly. Not only are we nature, I mean, to me, it, it's interesting. Like, I'm watching a thing on chimpanzees, this documentary series. I just started it on Netflix. I think it's called Chimp Planet or something like that. And it just gets me to thinking about, like, how we pay attention to chimps and we pay attention to dolphins and any sort of ape, and dolphins especially, and elephants, and we say how highly intelligent they are in all of this. And, you know, maybe they are, but my feeling is, like, I have ducks, I have cats, I interact with the wild boar, and it doesn't matter what shape and size you are or shape and size your brain is – they definitely have different interests and sort of different skill sets and things like that. But at the core, there's a sameness there, Yeah, you know, there and, and a high intelligence. And I feel like we only focus on dolphins, well, chimps and stuff because they're just like us dolphins, because people have interacted with them in the water, you know, like because we have chosen to interact with these beings, we see their intelligence, you know, we interact with them a certain way. Other things, are like, oh, that's farm animals, who cares, or that's my cat. (laughs) And so you disregard them. But if you don't disregard them, they're actually just as smart as the chimp and the dolphin and the what and you. (laughs) They're smart as you. In fact, uh, you know, our cats have figured out our language (laughs) without us training them. They know how to get what they want. I don't know what they're saying. (laughs) so they've got a leg up actually
1: I've had three dogs and they've found me very easy to train yeah exactly
0: <laughs> but it just to me it's like it's it's this is a mind blowing revelation you know just being a city boy all my life and then moving to the country and seeing how lied to I've been you know just about the intelligence of animals or swimming with fish and seeing that fish are friendly and they come up to you you know and you know, want to be petted or whatever, want to say hi, just like anything else. Like we've all got this incredible similarity. And if we were to sort of, uh, die back that brainiac self, um, and connect with them through silence, as you were saying, um, there would be, it would probably be more of a Disney film. (laughs) to us like this is the part where the brain steps in and goes oh that's animism oh that's you know anthropomorphizing things and and making them just like us and and that's not what we're you know no no, it's seeing the natural it's experiencing the natural interconnectivity and way that we're the same as opposed to the woo woo you know fantasy of trying to get them to like talk to you you know (laughs) not that they won't talk to you but they won't speak English probably (laughs)
1: It's weird that we have to keep reassuring ourselves that we're really, really smart, you know? Like, why is that? I mean, there's something kind of, kind of sad about
0: that. Um, Well, because we know that we're not. Like, that's the deep down, awful secret that we bury, is that we know, like, you know, I've said this a million times already uh, in life, and... We don't know anything. That's it. We're born yeah. into this world and you don't know anything and you make it all up. And in- everything. Like in- because even saying something is going to happen, like the sun is going to rise. Well, there's a probability <laughs> based on the past, but it ain't a given. <laughs> you know, the <laughs> physics of the universe only work this way because they do right now. But you can't really count on that. Like everything is not, you know, everything is, is a question. And, you know, I think we might see it as our duty to, like, be people or beings who carve out answers and live in those answers. But what if it's not what we're supposed to be doing? This whole forward thinking, you know, we're supposed to live forever and and what? You know, like, maybe there's something about us that we haven't sat back to figure out yet because we're too busy, like, moving forward yeah. to just yeah. propagate ourselves. <laughs> um let me ask you if you do you have time for a couple more questions? Sure. Okay. I just want to ask you, have you had um, in your experiences with these beings, um, have you had communications beyond, you know like, you know, I don't know instruction? like have you had like communications about life, the universe, and everything?
1: about communications about what?
0: About anything, like, have they told you anything? Have you asked them any questions beyond, no. like, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, shut up, sit down, <laughs> <Or whatever. laughs> I'm making that up, but you know what I mean, like, beyond, like, basic...
1: No, I just you know, assume Go, go screw that...
0: yourself instructions.
1: Yeah. No, for one thing, I'm usually just terrified, like,
0: or frozen,
1: or both. But the other thing is... I kinda of decided right away that they were kind of putting on a show, if that makes sense, you know, like I remember this one experience I had and I was remembering it, I was trying to remember it, and this is just bizarre. I'm in this room sitting on these uh there's like maybe twelve wooden chairs like you have in grade school. And they're facing this kind of picture window and there's people sitting in each chair and they're all naked, which is horrible. And then the the scenery is like this really fake computer cardboard, like from a Japanese 1968 horror movie type set, you know, where it's real fake looking. And. A couple little of these little guys with the big eyes and the spindly limbs have clipboards. They're wearing these long black suits and they have clipboards and they're and they're asking people about what they think because behind this window is just all oh, this fire and brimstone and lava. And I'm sitting there terrified as always. I don't want to look to either side of me because I'm pretty sure I'll recognize somebody if I do. And I don't want to. And the thing underneath my terror is not this again. You know, like, it just seems so clear to me that they're kind of punking us, you know, like, they're giving a serious message, but in a way that's so goofy that it would just be foolish to ask them a question because they would probably lie. I mean, I don't think,
0: Hmm.
1: (laughs) what if like, when we say something is the truth, you know, give me a truthful answer. What if they don't even think like that? You know, like, I just don't think they do. Well, yeah.
0: This reminds me of asking Teocas and ghost horse. uh, So, what is mystery to the Lakota? You know? I mean, they seem to know all this stuff and have a sense of interconnectivity and they don't have nouns in their language and everything's energy, and oneness and all of that. So what is mystery then to a Lakota person? And he just said, jokes. He said what? And I thought, jokes? Oh, jokes! And I think that's perfect. And, and in a way, like, we expect... The language of contact, or whatever we want to call this, to be either in a language um, or in music, you know, from Close Encounters. But really, how they speak to us is sardonic and is dark. It's like dark humor that's used, right? And I think there's a reason for that, which uh, I don't want to get too deeply into here because I want to like write it out and have it have it, you know, sort of more disciplined than that. But I think. For anyone listening, that's something to chew on. Uh, humor, sadistic humor even, yeah. which isn't sadistic if you're not attached, what <laughs> is the point if, if you are, uh, is used, is the language um, oftentimes. And the reason I ask you, do you, have you ever had like a sit-down chat with them or anything, is I always wonder, has anyone ever been told anything that they can't know? Like, have you ever been told anything or emoted anything that you wouldn't just know from reading a book or talking to somebody else?
1: Well, um, not, I, not I, I like have that? not, but there have been people who've had experiences and have gone on some obsessive task that they set them to. I remember one guy was like building a replica UFO in his garage or something. And so they, mm. I think they sometimes set people to doing these kind of Rube Goldberg construction projects. <laughs> <laughs> and of course they take that very seriously. to serious. see if they'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Watch it. Watch this, you know, hold my
0: beer. But yeah. But in a way it's all the same thing. Like when you think about it, from that to the terror to the whatever, it is not even necessarily like, oh, let's see if they'll do it. It's how long are you going to keep doing the same thing and, you know, I mean, the definition of insanity, right, is doing the same thing and not getting a result. Um, How long are you going to do that? And then before you have you're in on the joke and you wake up and you're like, oh, wait a minute. What am I doing? (laughs) You know, like Eventually, there's got to be that revelation or not, or you go crazy or you, you know, become delusional, which you already are anyway, uh, just by being in society. So, what does it matter if you're delusional by society's standards or societally delusional? Either way, you're delusional. Like, you got to wake up from the delusion, is the thing. I don't know. Uh, but let me, let me ask you one more thing, if I may, which is, is there, do you get the sense that the, the experience of being whooshed off into the light is directly connected with this other stuff you're talking about, or uh, did did one not did did one cause the other? In other words,
1: I think I think it's all connected. I think all the weird stuff and you know it when you see it is is connected, and it's all towards the same end, which is something like get over yourself or let go, you know, let go of it, give up. I've been through that a lot, you know, because it seems like anything you do by force of will or determination, that's going to go wrong. But yet, if you can just be like, you know, one of your... um. I don't know, chickens or something (laughs) just kind of be in the world and you know, you're still going to have to do things, but, um, just stop thinking so much, get over it. You know, I think that's the point of all of it really. Of course people have near death experiences and they come back and they want to say, now we know heaven is real and everything. Again, I have to say, I don't think you do. (laughs) You You had this experience. It was comforting, but can you really draw that information out of that? I don't think so.
0: Hmm. I'd love to know if people have had near-death experiences, you know, who believe that they went to a heaven and that's what it is and all that does that last forever or do you come out of it in the same way that like through my quote unquote enlightenment experiences, there is the blissy phase, the blissed out phase, but you can be pulled back to earth and you can become a cynical person again. Um, Is it the same way? Like, because essentially it's an experience at the end of the day, it's a, it may be a powerful one. It may be seem life changing, but there's also this pull as it becomes a memory, there is this pull back into normal routine, normalcy. Right. Um, yeah. So I wonder, like, do you have to just keep telling yourself over and over again, "I, I know what happens after death, and it's okay"? Or do you leg- are you legit completely changed and walking through life a changed person forever? I don't
1: know. I I think people. Tell this story the way other people want to hear it. And there's a few people who, for whatever reason, are perverse enough to not care about that. I seem to be one of those people. You seem to be one
0: of those people. <laughs> but, um, I just want to know what's going on. Yeah. Like, that's it. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to get pulled into the land of the poppy seeds and fall asleep. You know, I don't want to get bogged down with like psychic powers and aliens and what. Like, if that's a part of it, great. But I, I just want to know what's what's at the end here. And it, if the answer is nothing,
1: I hope I hope we're not like <laughs> well, cattle or something. i kind of
0: laugh. <laughs> you hope we're not what cattle. Oh God. No, don't start that. <laughs> People will latch on to that. They'll be like, yes, we are. I can refer you all the books that tell us that we are. Uh, well, Pam, as we uh, wind down here, is there anything that you wanted to cover that, that we didn't talk about?
1: No. <laughs> I, I'm just really grateful that you... Around and talking about things the way you are, and uh, I liked your seminars. I hope you have more. I know they're hard to do. Oh, thank yeah. you, but otherwise, I, I'm not a, well, I don't we'll know see. all the secrets of the universe or anything. I wish I did.
0: <laughs> well, you're working on it, so
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm working on it. soon if I and learn them back I to will us be sure. when you them. I'll let you know what they are first. I appreciate it.
0: Um, All right, Pam, thank you for coming on and doing this. It means a lot to me. Well, thank you.
1: You have a great
0: evening. You too. Thanks.
1: You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.